What's going on, everybody? It's Tom Wilder here, former Badger safety, here on the college, here on the Transfer Portal CFP podcast. I'm here with Andrew, here to talk about the 2022 Wisconsin football season. Uh, ready to get started, ready to talk some ball. That was very good. We got to start over, though. Yep. I'm playing, yep. I'm playing, I'm playing. We, we're not, no. You, you're doing good on <laughs> Okay, okay. Yeah. So, yeah, guys, uh, that was Colin Wilder, former Wisconsin Badger safety. Uh, he's still in Madison. Uh, Colin, man, how you doing? I'm doing great. Doing great. Enjoying the summers here in Madison. Um, enjoying the summertime. Nice, nice weather. It's a little different than uh, in Texas right now. So enjoying that while I can before I go back to Texas for a bit. Yeah, I was just up there last week. And man, I don't know what you're telling me. I was burning my ass off while I was up there. Yeah, yeah. the The weather hasn't been uh, been too soothing. I guess it's uh, from from my parents. It's been in the low hundreds and not much rain. A lot of humidity in Houston. So yeah, I'm not necessarily looking forward to going back to that. But excited to see family though, and um, you know, you get 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 a couple uh, higher UV rays at least. <laughs> I mean, listen, man, just. I mean, how do I just put this, man? Like, I, I was go- I was golfing when I was up there last week, and, my God, it felt like I was burning my ass off already. But, like, hey, listen, I'm here. And, like, hey, listen, we're closer to football season. That means we're getting closer to cooler weather. I'm already excited for it. I'm ready to go back to stadiums. I'm ready to, you know, be outside again, you know. And that's kind of that's kind of what we're here to talk about. So, uh, you know, listen, before we go into it, we got to talk a little bit about your Katie boys for a second. Last year, they were among the best teams in Houston. I think they probably were the best teams, not named North Shore. But uh, they all they did was they just ran into the behemoth that was uh, Austin uh, Westlake, you know, with yeah. Kate Klubnick and them, and them boys. Uh, how do right. you feel about your uh, your Katie boys going this season? You know, very always very confident with Katie football, regardless of, of – um, of, you know, what their schedule looks like, what their season, uh, you know, what happened to their season the year before. Um, you know, the one thing about Katie football is Gary Joseph gets those boys ready to go um, and how they prepare um, from from January all the way up to this point. So I'm really excited for those guys. I'll actually be down there to watch a lot of games. Um, I look forward to talking to Coach Joseph a little bit, catching up with him. But, um, but no, I'm, I'm really excited. I think they got some good talent. Um, Katie's known for having really good running backs. Um, Seth Davis is pretty freaking good. He's going to Mississippi State. Um, Caleb Coger, he's our he's our returning starting quarterback. I think this is his third year as a starter. Uh, so I mean, those guys, those guys look like they got they got the right uh, the right weapons in place. And Katie's defense is always set to a high standard. And I know I know those guys will be ready as well. So um, should be should be good to go. I, I do you anticipate it being at that Atascacita game. That's like the third game of the season. Um, I probably so. I mean, I'm most yeah, likely I'll K- be home. Tessita that was pretty kick ass last year. I mean, they kept it pretty close with North Shore a few times. Yeah, I'm very excited with that too because Travion Blaylock, one of our safeties here, um, his brother is uh, starting running back at, at Tessita. Yeah, his brother is so right too, now. Yeah, yeah he's, make he's a pretty freaking good. Yeah, we usually do. We usually do. I think I still I still like my boys regardless regardless of who they got in the backfield. So, um, but no, it should be a good game though. Should be. I mean, I. I Hopefully, I'll be home to watch it. I should be there. All right, cool. So, you know, for those that don't know, Colin, I mean, fortunately, injuries did catch up to you. You know, you kind of were forced to retire early. But, like, let's look – let's 
you have you obviously had a very successful football career. You were part of a couple, you were part of a couple good seasons with Houston, with the Cougars. You were a state title winner with Katie. You were on one of the best Texas high school teams of all time. And you had some really, really good seasons in Madison. Uh, when you kind of like look back on your career, like what's kind of like the biggest lesson that you think football's taught you? Gosh, I mean, football teaches you so much. Um, on this, I've been so fortunate to have a very memorable journey. Um, I've been a part of some really great teams, been, um, been, you know, playing with some really, really great players. And, uh, but the thing is, you know, I, I, I put it out on my Twitter a couple of days ago. Um, I've had a lot of time to reflect, a lot of time to reflect on playing ball and, um, reflect on my career. And honestly, like you, when I first think about football and how special it is to me, I don't think about the interceptions I made. I don't think about, um, the championships that we won, the, the big games we won, the rivalry games. I don't think about any of that stuff. The the national rankings, all that stuff is great. And you need to strive for it. You need to go for it. You need to be the best you can be. You need to be the best team you can possibly be and always be prepared for those. But um, at the end of the day, it's about the people you're with. Um, I value more at this point being done, looking back, I value more the people who I played with, the people who made an impact on my life outside of football, the people who grew me in my, in my character and my confidence level. Um, those are the things that I remember the most. And it's things that you're going to carry with you when you're done playing and it goes on forever. You know, the, the interceptions, the, the big plays, um, the crowd chant your name, all that stuff. I mean, it's very, very, uh, it's very, very temporary um, compared to the relationships and, um, and, and what you learned out of those things, how you grew as a man, how you grew as, is uh, somebody who can go through adversity. All those things is what, you know, at the end of the day is what truly matters. So um, I've had a lot of time to think about it, and I truly think, you know, those are the most important things. But, um, gosh, I love hitting people. I love playing with violence. That's one thing I'm going to miss, too. Um, I love putting my body on the line for my brothers, and um, sometimes it, football gets you. Your, football chooses you to be one of those guys that's the example of uh, injuries catching up to you and, um, but I'm I'm grateful for every bit of it. Love it. Do you do you remember how we ended the uh, the last podcast we had with you? The uh, the segment that we had. It's one of your favorite plays. How, how did I? What, what? It was one of my favorite plays. No, well, kind of. It, it was our pick six segment. Um, was it was it a hit against Minnesota? No, I'm, I'm saying like in, we're about to do a segment called the pick six. Oh. Yeah, the, the, the quick-fire question is what I was trying to get at. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah. No, but we're probably we're probably about to touch that anyways. Uh, so, by the way, before we go in, did you ever try out Sal's tomato pies? No, I didn't. You're disappointing me. I man. didn't. I know, I know. <laughs> I think we're, we're, we're mid-season, and it, yeah, I'm not going to lie. I haven't seen – I haven't tried it yet. All right, so as we go to this pick six, let's just jump right into it. Uh, what would you say has your has been your favorite memory ever on the football field? Favorite memory ever on the football field? Um, gosh, it was probably uh, probably this past season, getting two interceptions on senior night um, against Nebraska. Um, you know, it's pretty special being the one person to control eighty five thousand people. Um, and you, you're doing it with with the guys that um, that you love and um, sending the seniors out in the right way. You know, in that same game, it came down to the wire. 
um, that was probably the most memorable moment on the field. I mean, it was awesome. It was so fun. Uh, I was there in attendance. I'll take half credit for that. Um, <laughs> who was the hardest QB and the hardest wide receiver you ever played against? So, like, not necessarily like a QB wide receiver duo, but like one player from each position. Do you think was the hardest in terms of defending against? Yeah, um, I mean, being uh, playing at University of Houston my freshman year, we played Baker Mayfield, we played Lamar Jackson, we won the Heisman. Um, both of those games, I didn't necessarily play a lot, and I only played a couple plays on defense. But um, you know, those those games we actually contained those QBs really well, surprisingly, um, because they had such good years. But um, I'd probably say Justin Fields was the hardest QB to to, to defend to contain. I mean, that guy was way bigger than I expected on the field. And I mean, it takes like, it took like three guys to try to, you know, finally get the, that guy down. He really, he really was able to extend a lot of plays. Um, and then receiver wise, um, I remember at Houston, Anthony Miller at Memphis. Really? He was, he was a dog, a straight dog. Um, he was a pain to defend. Um, and I got to say, in 2019, the Michigan University of Michigan wide receiver corps, they had uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones. They had Tariq Black. Um, uh, they had another receiver who was, I mean, huge. I mean, they're, I mean, across the board, they were at least 6'3 and up. They were humongous. And, like, they eventually like, – we, 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 played, we played really well that game, you know, defensively. But at the same time, though, anytime that ball's in the air, like, you had to go earn every bit of it. Um, so that, that course was, was, uh, was the real deal as well. But, um, Anthony Miller, he, he was a dog. That's, that's one guy who I thought was a, was a pain to defend. For me, it's Jalen Hurts. I actually played, I actually played Jalen Hurts in, uh, in high school and that dude was, yeah, we put, when I was a freshman, he was a freshman on his team too. And, uh, we played channel view in a preseason scrimmage and, I was the defensive end and he was the same size as me, essentially, you know, obviously yeah. leaner and like taller, but like obviously a, a hell of a lot stronger. And I just remember trying to tackle the guy and the dude is, the dude was fucking hard. Like he was one of those guys where you tried to wrap up, but he, but he felt like raffle trying to take that. Yeah. That yeah. It really showed like how he was about to go into, you know, going into, uh, you know, Alabama. I think that's kind of where his recruiting started. Uh, yeah. What is yep. what what is the best and the worst stadium you've ever played in? Best stadium, Rose Bowl. Rose Bowl Stadium was awesome. Um, if you want to count, not, if you, if you don't want to count bowl games, um, playing at Ohio State, um, that was unreal. Um, probably the loudest stadium I ever played in. I wish, I wish we played Iowa when we weren't in COVID or I wish we played at Iowa when it wasn't during the COVID era, because I would have loved to see how that crowd was. Um, another fun stadium actually was Purdue stadium. I thought really? that was sick. Yeah. Well, I'll say, um, I would it, expect it really it to be in your worst, to be honest. I loved it. Um, grass field, smaller stadium. I mean, you're stretching and warming up in the park in like a parking lot area. Um, I just, I mean, I just thought it was extremely gritty. And then it, it felt like you were in high school again, you know, playing at a high school stadium. You go down there, you know, you warm up on the field, whatever. But then on the sideline, this was during, right before Halloween, um, like the week before Halloween, they had, uh, the student section is like probably within five yards of our bench, um, you know, on our side of the sideline. And uh, they had 
costumes on. They were talking trash, all this stuff. And that's when we had like four or five turnovers that game. So every time we turned the ball over, we just go back up to them and, you know, we'd be chirping at them. And, you know, by the end of the game, we, we had some fun. But uh, I enjoyed that. Probably the worst team, Northwestern's easily number one. Really? Ryan Field sucks. Absolutely sucks. It's uh, There's no juice. Where juice goes to die, the grass is about as thick of like, you know, you hit, you hit your golf ball in the rough. I mean, if you, hit, if you hit a golf ball at Ryan Field, you probably wouldn't find the ball. It's one of those where the blades of grass are like crossing each other. I mean, it was, it's brutal. You feel slow. You feel sluggish. There's no juice, especially when you play them later on. It's cold. Um, that's one where you really have to lock in. You got to find a way to get your guys going because that's just an easy trap game. Easy, easy trap game. What, you know, uh, did you play at Ryan Field before that 2020 game? No, I didn't. That was the year that I had to sit out because we played them in 2018 at Ryan Field, and we lost that game too. Um, but, yeah, but then we played them in 2020, and honestly, I don't even think the crowd would have made a difference. It was just so slow, to be honest. Like, every time you see a game, and or, like when Kenneth Walker, when he broke off that 70-yard touchdown uh, for Michigan State to open up their season against Northwestern at Ryan Field, my instant reaction was, how the hell are you running that fast on that stadium? Or like on that grass, yeah. I I really yeah. I for real don't get it. Is is that part of the reason why you feel like, you know, not trying to throw shade, but like why Wisconsin always struggles whenever they play at Ryan Field? Because I think they I only mean, got like I, two wins there probably since like the Barry Alvarez era. Yeah, I mean it's definitely it's it's a toxic not toxic but it's a it's a harder environment to to be in. Um, it's it's something where you have to can't really explain it, but there's just an energy there to where you have to make sure that your, your guys are ready to go and ready to play. And, um, you, you just, you really have to lock in. It's, it's very easy to, to go down, um, a sluggish, a sluggish road in that stadium for whatever reason, whatever reason. I mean, even guys who I know, some of my best friends play at Northwestern. Um, I've talked to a lot of guys there and they don't even like playing there. So Northwestern they chose to commit there. Uh, well, yeah, I don't know. They they just they, they don't like they hate their grass. They hate their grass. So um yeah, it's just that just shows how interesting it is to play there. You know, if you would have said Rice Stadium, I probably would have been a little happier, but that's a personal side note. Uh <laughs> what is your favorite and least thing about both Texas and Wisconsin? My favorite thing about I mean, that's easy for for Wisconsin's probably the summers. Um I mean, I, I I truly feel like the weather and the sunsets and things that do in Wisconsin go. I've got, I've gone up north this summer. Um, you got Summerfest. You got uh, you got plenty of lakes to go on. You know, around Madison, around the state of Wisconsin. Summers I think are the best. The worst. I mean, the winters. That's that's a pretty yes. easy one too. Um, you know, <laughs> it's pretty cold, and you got to. But I had to learn how to I, I had to learn how to walk on ice here, like walk on the sidewalks. You don't really notice ice sometimes, and I'm walking like it's you know completely dry outside and just slip and need it. Um, I had to learn how to do that. But um, best about Texas, the food, yeah, I would say Tex-Mex, Cajun barbecue, we got it all. Crawfish, um, I, I yeah, crawfish, gotta love it. Um, that's that's probably number one the best and then the worst part about texas i mean if we're i mean we're staying with weather but i'd say the heat 
the, for, for Houston, at least it's the humidity. Um, I mean, I can deal with heat. It's hot, but can you throw the humidity with it? That's a, that's a tough combo. And Houston's probably the most humid place that I've ever been in. Um, but the food trumps it. The food makes yeah, it worth it. Definitely. I mean, I mean, you go to, I mean, like you obviously know the city well enough as much as I do. All you gotta do is just find a good food truck park. And it's like, as long as you don't eat anything too spicy, you should. Yeah. 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 Just don't get habanero salsa. <laughs> okay. So we spoke to one of your guys at UH a couple of a couple months ago, Derek Parrish. Oh, that's my guy. That's my and, guy. Uh, and uh, not sure if you heard, but the UH team, they went to Taste of Texas last year in July, I think it was. And they had an all you can eat steak eating contest at Taste of Texas. Oof. And Derek ended up winning the individual competition. He cl- he says this has actually been confirmed by his teammates. He ate seven pounds of steak in a row at Taste of Texas. He said that they were eating <laughs> sirloin, ribeye, T-bone, New York strip. They ended it with a tomahawk, and if you made it through the tomahawk, you get you got a, you got you just got slabs of ribeye afterwards. So I know I know I know how much. You know, football players that love to eat in one sitting. How many pounds of steak do you think you could power through? I'm at my best. I'd probably say I, I can't eat as much as I, I used to. I, I used to love getting the tomahawk there, and that's like a 32 ounce. Um, you go no sides, no uh, no appetizers. I could maybe get close to two and a half. Three pounds? No way I get close to seven. Yeah. Ain't no way. I'm not. I'm not built like Derek Parrish. Tell you what, that guy's different. Yeah. So uh, no folk at a child trip with him for you. So that's kind of yeah. He'll, he'll he'll clean out the kitchen. So number six. So we obviously had a lot of big time news. You know, with Big Ten, USC, UCLA. You're going to Big Ten now. We're probably not even stopped there. You know, this is obviously a guy in suits type talk, but. You know, I would definitely say that from when you from when you left high school in 2016, even a lot's changed from 2016 until now. But as we go, but as we go closer to like, let's take a look at a good five to ten years from now. How much more do you think college football will change within the next five to ten years? Well, I keep seeing more and more talks about mega conferences, two mega conferences, which I don't really know what we would do with that. Cause it's hard to, if you have, you know, 22 teams or 20 plus teams or whatever, and two different conferences, I don't know how you, how you necessarily create um, a winner of each conference. I mean, maybe there is one, but that's a possibility. Two mega conferences. Um, I know the PAC 12 will be gone in my opinion. I, I don't think it'll be there anymore. Um, as we can clearly see that there's that's slowly um, going away. As, as we speak, I think it's just tough um, for that conference with TV rights um, and, you know, with playing on, on West Coast time, it's hard to get the same viewers as it is with teams being able to play at 11 a.m. and um, play in prime time times. Um, so I don't know. But then when you when you when it comes to NIL, when it comes to paying players and I mean, players might be getting paid TV rights at, at, at one point. Um, just because of that's where all the money is. And it's, it sounds like the big 10 starting to create, um, 
I don't know, representatives of each team for up like a player representing their, their conference. And I don't know, it kind of sounds like a union in my opinion, but I don't know. I don't, I don't know. That seems like a talk as well, but clearly college football isn't what it is from when we were growing up, the college football that we loved before. It's not the same. Recruiting is way different. Um, and, you know, being you know, college football playoff, that's different. I think that will possibly expand. Um, and you got the NIO players getting paid. I mean, it's just, it's just not the same. It's, it's not the same. Could be good in some good ways and some bad ways could also be, uh, very negative, but I mean, I don't know. There's, there's a lot, there's a lot that's changed. I think a lot more is going to change. So we obviously know college football has essentially been about the money probably ever since playoff era has been in like playoff era was essentially the, the biggest domino to fall that started the culture of what it is today, especially with those TV deals with ESPN, you know, it kind of sounds like that as we approach more, you know, once these conferences are, are, are starting to be gone, because I think the ACC is another conference that's in conversation. You know, they got a really, really tough uh, TV deal. I mean, I think they have the same TV deal where the schools make the same amount of money over the next 15 years, which is almost unheard of when you hear about what the Big Ten and the SEC is making. But it sounds like we're kind of going much more towards a business-driven, professional and, you know, I'm not saying that union is good or bad, but it's like you got to start understanding, like, the legality that goes into what college football is and the legal fees that will have to take place whenever you start right. talking about unions and, and college football. But uh, now that right. we got past, but now that we got past this point, I, I ain't trying to go too deep in on this. Uh, let's go a little bit on the actual Badgers here, the Wisconsin Badgers, you know, the, the boys up in Madison. It's kind of what we're here for. Uh, there's going to be a, this is going to be a very different looking team in some aspects. I'd say primarily on the side that you were on last year with, uh, with the defense, you know, with guys like you, with, uh, with Fayon Hicks gone, with Caesar Williams gone, it's going to be a very young secondary, but I like, but I crunched the numbers down a little bit. As long as Jim Leonard has been the DC at Wisconsin, they finished outside the top five in total defense only once. And I think he took over in 2017. So obviously you've been there since 2018 and in the three, four seasons, you know, I know you had to say one year, but in those four seasons, what do you think he does best in terms of keeping the units fresh year in, year out, you know, and, and, and able to keep such a stagnant unit? Yeah, that's that, you know, what makes coach Leonard so special um, besides his confidence, besides his, um, his ability to understand offenses and how smart he is. I mean, all that makes him very special, um, the way he can relate to players. Um, but I think what really separates him as well is after each season, he chooses to go back, watch the film, and he looks at, okay, what holes did we create? What, um, how can we make things look different? How can we make things – how can we still disguise plays um, okay, we, we had a lot of success on this. Teams are going to be expecting this. How can we make something different but make it still look the same? Um, he loves to go back and adjust, and he's always making adjustments. Even if he's um, even, even if he had a lot of success on, on you know, one play, he's always making an adjustment on how he can make it better, how he can make the front better, how he can make things still – how he could give offenses a different look. Um, and I think that's what makes him, spe- makes him special is he never settles. You know, he's had great years, um, you know, since I've been there, he's, he's only gotten better. And the reason he does get better is because he looks at how he can make himself better. He looks at the mistakes he makes. He's just very realistic with himself. 
And uh, he just continues to, to make adjustments. He doesn't settle. Now, like I said, obviously with the secondary being completely revamped, you know, even the front seven is going to look a lot different. I mean, luckily Keanu Benton is still going to be there. But guys like Leo Chanel, Jack Sanborn, you know, those guys, they're off to the NFL now. You know, we're going to see guys like Nick Herbig and Noah Burks take a step forward. Who are some other players that you anticipate that will step up for that defense this season and, like, fill in some of those shoes? Um, 100% John Torchio. Um, he was our, our uh, third safety that rotated with us last year with me and Scotty, um, Scotty Nelson. And uh, the thing about, about Torch is he's one who um, – he's very good at disguising – He's got a great nose for the ball. Um, he finds a way to uh, make create turnovers, finds a way to take the ball away, whether it's through interceptions, through forced fumbles. Um, you know, he, I think he's a very special guy, and he's, take, he's taken a huge leadership role this year. And, uh, you know, I expect him to have a big year. Um, and then we have transfers as well. We have transfer corners um, who have come from, uh, I believe, Kentucky, Toledo, UCLA. Um, from what I've heard, those guys are – are doing really well and they're earning a lot of trust on the field. So um, I expect those guys to, to be able to up the level of play too on, on this defense. And um, cause at the end of the day, it's going to come down to the secondary making plays on deep balls, um, being able to communicate properly um, with those guys. And, you know, I, I expect them to do really well. Sweet. Now we obviously spoke about this guy a lot more. There's even some been some turnover in the offense, uh, Bobby Ingram, you know, tight ends coach from the Baltimore Ravens, now coming over, taking over Joe Rudolph's uh, job as the OC up in Madison now. And we're going to see a bit of a different Wisconsin uh, offense going into the season. Look, obviously, Graham's still going to be there. Brandon's going to be there. But it's going to be really retooled with uh, Shesma Lucy coming back. Now we got a lot of talks about how this got potential to be the best two-headed monster in college football in terms of at the running back position. We're going to be seeing a lot of young guys like Skylar Bell, you know, coming up, you know, with Danny Davis and uh, Kendrick Pryor uh, off for Madison now. Uh, what can you, you know, I know you're asking defensive guy, but like, what is something that you could probably like tell us a little bit? Like, how much different would you anticipate this uh, wide receiver room to look? Also, Marcus Allen. We, uh, yeah, did I say his name right? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I think, I think, uh, you know, wide receiver wise, um, I'm really excited for this group, young talent. Um, they have a lot of potential. I think it's just completely up to them to how great they want to be. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm really excited for them. Clearly very talented. They got a transfer from UCLA. I was able to watch, um, a couple of spring ball practices and, um, he seems to be, um, Seems to be a guy, too, that they really like. Um, taller, lankier guy. So I'm really excited, you know, for, for that opportunity, too, to, to uh, give that guy shots, you know, shots in the air, deep shots. So, um, no, I mean, I, and I think with Bob Bostad, Coach Bostad being moved to the offensive line, um, in the past, I believe, when he, when he coached the offensive line back during the Russell Wilson era, um, our O-line was, um, you know, some of the best in the country. And not, not to say that we haven't been. Um, our O-line usually is at a high level of play, but I think Bob Bostad um, will get those guys ready to go in the run game. And then um, you add Braylon Allen, you add Chesma Lucy um, to, uh, to that mix. And both of, that, both of those guys are very special in their own ways, um, both different types of backs, but they find a way to make big plays. And I'm, I'm, just, I'm really excited to watch this group. I think these guys um, can really finally put it together um, 
to do something special. Well, I think what we're going to be seeing a lot of, you know, this is from my opinion from outside looking in is I think we could be seeing a lot of like two back sets uh, going into the season, you know, because obviously we got Braylon, who's the downhill guy. We got Shes, who I think could be very versatile in the passing game. Uh, I think we could yeah. probably see some motion from Shes where he may go out into the wide spot. You know, I could see him totally doing that because I think at this point what we kind of want to see is I think we want to see some versatility on that offense this season with uh, especially with Graham. Let's see, you know, can Shes Malusi be open in spaces? You know, how do linebackers, how are they going to read the uh, running backs once they once they both come out? You know, I kind of want to know, like, what, you know, is this going to be a type of offense where it's going to be defenses are going to be kept guessing over which running back is going to get the attention? Because, you know, even that Penn State game, I mean, this was before Braylon was even really a thing, you know, uh, on the TV was uh, Shez was really coming out and he was looking like to be the he was really looking to be like the running back one for Wisconsin. But Mm -hmm. even before he got injured, Braylon was still coming up. Right. Right. And. I think that's another thing that this whole Wisconsin group has to be prepared for, um, for, I mean, for any team. I mean, when, when you're going into a season, injuries happen. You, you don't want them to. You want to avoid them as much as possible. But with football being football, people will get hurt. So it's, you just have to be prepared to adjust. Adjust to injuries. Guys being prepared to fight through injuries, to make it to the next game. Um, and I think – those teams who can adjust the best, those teams who can find a way to make it to game day and beat their very best, even if they're not fully healthy, um, those are the teams that play on New Year's. Those are the teams that play on New Year's and beyond. Um, and I think just the biggest thing is finding those leaders um, in the Wisconsin, you know, in the Wisconsin locker room to make sure that, that they're ready to adjust. They're ready to, they're ready to be, um, the, be able to play at the same level when – when you know wrong things hit the fan, and um, I think I think that's that's another key is just finding those leaders that can bring those guys along and can say, "Hop on this bus or get ran over." Shit, love it. Who's the, who? Do you think is somebody that can like really like emerge as like a vocal leader on that on that team this year? Well, uh, well, Nick Nick Herbig, um, Nick Herbig definitely is is one that I've I've noticed, and Chimere DK. Um, you know, we, we didn't talk about him in the wide receiver room, but That's he's, true. he's, uh, he's, I think he'll be their go-to guy. I think he, he'll be their go-to guy on and off the field. Um, you know, I, I love that guy to death. And I think he's, I think he's ready to step into a huge role this year and, and be their guy, you know, on offense. So, um, but vocally, I think, I think he's one as well. And, um, John Torchio, John Torchio stepped up as a leader as well, just from how he handles himself, um, how he, how he, uh, how well he played last year, um, and how well he plays on the field, how he handles himself off the field. He's earned a lot of respect as well. So, um, so it's all up to those guys. And I, I, I think more leaders emerge throughout the year. That's just how it goes every year. And every team is different. You know, their style of leadership is going to be different than last year's style of leadership. Um, it's not that that's not really the point. It's just about how you, how you can get those guys going regardless. You know, another guy that we didn't really talk about when we were talking about the receiver room was uh, Dean Engram, you know, the uh, the secondary man last year, you know, switching right. over to literally right. his dad's side of the ball, you know. You know, while I obviously don't know, you know, I can only really guess like how, you know, Ravens utilize their tight ends over the last couple of years, but it kind of like makes me wonder, like, there could literally be no other guy who knows how he plays other than a son coaching his uh, – a father coaching his son, you know. Right. 
So it kind of like makes me wonder, like, obviously Ingram going over to the offensive line, you know, obviously he had influence from, you know, his father become the OC. But uh, do you think he's also somebody that can like really step up in that offense too? like maybe like create space in secondary? Because, you know, my my initial reaction was he had the most snaps among returning defensive uh, secondary players last season. And that's a guy going to the wide receiver. Obviously, you don't make that switch unless you know something that other people don't. Right. No, he's a very athletic guy, very athletic player. Um, you can expect him to uh, to make some pretty big catches. And, you know, he's been our punt returner, so he's clearly athletic enough to uh, make plays in space. Um, so I'm, I'm really excited for that as well. I mean, there's a lot of guys that we didn't mention. So if these guys watch it, I hope, hope they can forgive me. But, um, yeah, I think – with uh, you know, with Dean Ingram, you got Chimray DK, you got their transfer from UCLA, you got um, Skyler Bell, you got Marcus Allen. Um, it's a deep room. It's a deep room, and I think it, it creates a lot of opportunities for for the offense. Which, um, again, I'm really excited for, especially when you have Dean's dad running, you know, running, running the show. So, um, should be should be a pretty good combo. All right. Now, obviously, I know that you said you're not going to harp on this part too much, you know, in terms of, you know, this is more of a my thing. You just tell me where I'm out of pocket on this, you know, things on that, you know, what, you know, from a fan side looking in, obviously a fan only knows so much. Uh, there's a belief out there that nobody knows football less than fans. I played defensive <laughs> in high school. I, I know some stuff I'd like to believe. I know what A gap, B gap, <laughs> C gap is. Uh, so pretty much I think something that I think is very important for Wisconsin going into the season is consistency in the passing game. I feel like this is a lot fresher group of guys. You know, you guys just spoke about the UCLA. We also know about the younger guys like Scar uh, Skyler Bell. You know, he made a fantastic catch in that Las Vegas Bowl. Uh, even uh, Marcus Allen, he made a couple plays in that Las Vegas Bowl too. And I think one thing that a lot of people, they forget whenever we talk about Graham Mertz is – after that Notre Dame game last season, he only had one game. That, no, I don't think he had any games after that Notre Dame game where he threw more than one pick in the game. I mean, obviously he didn't have the volume, but if you look at games like the Nebraska game, the Rutgers game, the Rutgers game where he just went absolutely insane, to be honest, and he made a lot of, you know, he was able to extend a lot of plays in that Las Vegas Bowl. I don't really think you could give me a true reason like why I shouldn't feel optimistic about Graham making an improvement in 2022. Like, obviously, the memes and the jokes are going to fly off, but let's be honest. If you actually paid attention to the offense post-September, I think there was a lot of improvement in in the passing game that I don't think a lot of people were giving credit for. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Graham's ceiling is very, very high, um, and I think – he and rightfully so he should have high expectations because he has great ability and um you know i think he, he's been he's been wanting to put it fully together and uh, i think the opportunity for him to do that this year um he's extremely excited about he's worked his tail off um he's made some big transitions with his body this year which is I, it's been really cool to see um and i think you know with with that, with the preparation, and then with the opportunity to make big plays, once he creates big plays, I think that confidence level will just continue to rise. And I think for any player, um, including myself, that I had to work on is, yeah, I was prepared. Yeah, I love football. Um, yeah, I love to. I love to be out there. I knew. I knew what I was doing. But if you're missing confidence, you're never going to be the player that you can, the best player you can possibly be. And 
that was, that was a huge thing for me. And I think once I was able to gain that confidence, I mean, I was just able to just to be free, be free when I was on the field. And I think all it takes for Graham is just going to be a couple, uh, you know, a couple of big plays that needs to, that, that he'll make. And, um, once that confidence can, continues to grow, I mean, the sky's the limit for him. You know, he's, he's, he, has, he has a huge ceiling. And uh, it's going to kill me watching him from my couch. I'm not going to lie. I mean, one thing I will give him a lot of credit for is, like, you know, you see it in social media posts, you see it on sidelines. It feels like that nobody has his back more than his own teammates. And that's truthfully something that I love seeing. I don't think I see, you know, even a lot of these All-American players that I see on social media, they don't even get the same love that I see a lot of the players give Graham, to be honest. And, you know, these are obviously guys that practice with him every day, you know, travel with him, you know, every away game. They know him better than any any broadcaster, any blogger is going to know. So the fact that they still right. got their faith in him, there should be zero reason why other people should not either. Now, in your opinion, you know, obviously you're still close with the program. You know, you're still in Madison right now. You know, so I'm not trying to I'm not trying to grab headlines when I ask this question, but like in your honest opinion, you know, you say you're going to be on the couch this season. What do you want to see from the team uh, throughout this fall, and what would you consider a successful season for them? Well, I think I mean this program has has been wanting a Big Ten championship for a long time now, and I think you know since I've been there. Anytime we didn't have that opportunity or any time that we didn't make it to the Big Ten Championship and give ourselves the chance to win it, I mean, it was a failed season. And then, you know, we've gotten to the Big Ten Championship and we've we failed. And, you know, that's that's a failed mission. It's a failed mission in the season. And I think uh, I think those values stay the same this fall. I, I, I'm sure those guys won a Big Ten Championship. And, you know, for, for the Big Ten Conference, you win the Big Ten 95, 98% chance you go in the college football playoff. That's you win the big 10, you're in the college football playoff. So, um, but we've, you know, as a program, we've wanted a big 10 championship for a long time. And I think um, that's the number one goal. That's the number one goal for this team. And I would call that winning a big 10 championship would be a successful season. Um, but, you know, the, the, the expectations are high and uh, you know, I really, I, I've, I've been in that meeting room where we've talked about it over and over, and I'm, I'm sure the values stay the same. What's it like, uh, you know, just because I'm curious, you know, what was it like after that 2019 Big Ten title loss? You know, where was that? You know, it was a massive start in the first quarter. Uh, I remember Big Cat from Barstool was hyping up that whole game. Uh, I was too, but like, what's like, what's the mood like inside the locker room after like an absolute demoralizing loss like that? Oh, I mean, it's lifeless, especially when, you know, you had the lead. I mean, that happened in the Rose bowl as well. Um, it's lifeless when you can't finish, finish the game. And, um, you know, I, I, we were very fortunate to, to still, because, you know, we had a decent season that year. Um, we were very fortunate to, you know, play in the Rose bowl. Um, but no, I mean, when, when you're up 21-7 at halftime, you know, you should you should finish that game with a win. And, you know, it sucks. It sucks. No, nobody's talking in the locker room. You can hear a couple guys every now and then slamming their helmets and stuff, but that's about it. That's about it. Not, not, not much is said. Well, at least it's a sign that everybody cares. I mean, that's, that's, I think that's the most underrated aspect of it. And the fact that, oh, man, Justin Herbert looked like the, 
I mean, no shade to to lower level Mac quarterbacks, but that's what he was made. That's what he looked like in that Rose Bowl game. You know, I mean, it really wasn't a question that I had, but like, what was it like to play against a guy like that? You know, and you know, for him to be honestly effectiveless, I don't even know if that's a, a word like non effective, like you know, a guy that was getting this first round NFL hype, but to like completely lock him down. Yeah, I mean, I think that just proves you know how good our defense was that year. We had a we had a great defense. Um, Zach Bond, Chris Orr, um, you know those those guys really you know put a lot of pressure in the in the pass rush game and um, you know defensively um, you know our 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 secondary was still growing at the time, but we were playing at a high level as well. And um, yeah, it's it's it sucks when. You know, you shut down the pass game, but at the same time, though, I think he had two or three rushing touchdowns, and um, you know, you got you got to be able to make those plays too. And he found a way to lead his team to a win. And um, you know, they it sucks. It was a one point game. You know, we still talk about that. Me and the guys, it's 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 brutal. All right, let's uh, let's go to a lighter topic here now because I'm getting depressed now on this. Uh... <laughs> Uh, we, you know, you have spoke a lot about some of these guys. I spoke a lot about the wide receiver room. You, you, you were big on John Torchio a little bit, but if you had to pick one player from both the offense and the defensive side to, to truly break out, like we're talking, you know, all American type, you know, season from these guys, who, who would you pick one from offense and one from defense? Well, definitely. I mean, it's that easy all American. It's easy to pick, you know, Braylon Allen or, or, or Chez as well, but um, you know, all American wise, I would say Joe Titman. Put our center Joe Titman in there. Remington, um, preseason watch list. Right, right. I, I can see him having a great year. Um, you know, he's been very reliable for us for a couple of years now, and um, I think that's an opportunity. This is an opportunity for him to to really break out and and you know lead lead that uh, lead those lead those uh, those guys on the line and. Uh, you know, defensively, I, I can see Nick Herbig having an All-American season. Keanu Benton as well. He's a great player. Um, I can see Nick Herbig being one um, to lead the nation in sacks. I think he's that good. I think he's that driven uh, to be able to make it happen. So I, I really like those two guys. Those two guys have, have very uh, special potential, you know, in this, this upcoming season. I was going to say Nick too because the insane thing about that defense last year was that – the you know we talk about the players that are you know being replaced and some of the guys that are coming back, but the leading sack leader from that defense last year isn't even in the NFL yet, and that was Herbie. You know he led the team in the sacks last season. I think he was second on the team in uh, tackles for losses. Correct me if I'm wrong on that one. Uh, I think you know from my understanding, I think he's bulking up a lot heavier going into this season too. And that's also really scary because whenever I watched Herbig last season, it was like he was the guy that was the first off the line. He was the first to to get to get around the edge to get around the tackles. But like it's like now this guy he could probably take like a yeah, phone with their phone there. But he's uh, he he looks like the type of guy that's just going to be like a do it all guy. You know, he's reminding me a lot of TJ Watt at, during his last year at Wisconsin. Yeah, no, I mean Nick Nick's wired differently. He plays like a hungry dog. Um, and he's only continuing to get better at his technique, continuing to get better at his knowledge with the defense. And, uh, yeah, I think this this could be a huge year for him. He has the opportunity to. And you know, the funny thing is we probably played half of our game in, like, four or five games this year, or this past year. 
you know, he could have had way more than nine sacks or however many he had. Um, and if he always tells me, he's like, I got to get three sacks this game, three sacks. And if he get, if he doesn't get three sacks, he says he failed. So he's a, uh, he's wired differently. He's I'm, he I'm excited. Been, he must've been pissed after Leo got his three and a half sacks against army. Then probably ask him like why it wasn't himself. Well, our army was, that was a different game. That was with their, with army's offense. That was, that was just a, uh, you know, bullets flying everywhere type of game. All right. So, like I said, I kind of already gone with her big because I think he's that spectacular player. I think he's going to be the undeniable leader of that defense going this season. But, uh, you know, to, to call Braylon Allen a breakout player would be kind of lazy, but I do think he's going to have that all American type season. Speaking of which, did you go to his, uh, did you go to his charity, uh, game in, uh, Fond du Lac? I didn't, I didn't, I was out of town during that, but I'll, I, I FaceTimed some of the guys and they looked like they had a, had a good time. It's my hometown right there. Uh, so I think in terms of the offense, I, I, I talk about them a lot, but like, I think Skylar Bell made enough plays in that Las Vegas bowl, especially in that first quarter. I think he's going to be the most underrated uh, wide receiver in the big 10 going into the season, because right now with that wide receiver room, I don't really think we have a true number one receiver, you know, being made out there yet. It feels like it could just be anyone, whoever Graham feels like throwing the ball to the most. But I think Skyler is the type of guy that I feel like would outclass the average uh, Big Ten West, you know, corner. I could totally see him, you know, being a lot faster than what a lot of these Big Ten uh, corners and safeties are used to. So that would definitely be my uh, my breakout player on the offense. Uh, do you have any hot takes for the uh, for for the team this season? Hot takes. Um... I'll say John Torchio uh, leads the Big Ten interceptions. It's a hot take that I have. Um, how, how would you describe his playing style? Would it be like a little bit like you, downhill type of guy, or does he, or do you think he's more of a, you know, uh, more of a zone coverage type of guy? He's a he's a finesse. Um, yeah, he likes to disguise like man going into zone. He's definitely. Yeah, I mean, I. He, he can play both, but he loves zone because it's an opportunity for him to just have his eyes on the quarterback, kind of hide his way into stealing a ball. Um, he's really good at that. Um, so I think Coach Leonard will put him in great positions to make plays. Um, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of I'm a huge fan of Torch. So that's my hot take. I think he leads he leads the Big Ten, maybe even the nation in interceptions. That's that's my hot take. I think Braylon is going to be. I think he's going to be first team All-American, which the crazy thing about it is this is actually supposed to be his freshman year. We aren't even supposed to have heard of him up to this point, but he was yeah. able to take care of his stuff uh, up at Fond du Lac. But uh, I think he's going to be first team All-Big Ten, and I think he's got real – and I think he's going to outgain Travion Henderson th this season in terms of rushing yards. I think he's going to be that good. Uh, I, haven't, I haven't crunched the metrics on it, but – I can almost guarantee you that if you would have taken from that Illinois game last season on on uh, October 8th, I think that game was, till the end of the season, I'm pretty sure he would have been extremely close to leading the nation and rushing yards. And the fact that he crushed 1,000 yards last season without even – essentially without even playing in September was it, – it's amazing. I don't really know how yeah. the hell he does it. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think that kind of like closes us out. Actually, uh, do you kind of like have any other like things you got to say about this team that uh, they, they, you know, they, do you think we should be expecting? Um, I, I just I, I think this team is going to be different than last year. 
in a lot of good ways. And, uh, you know, I'm really excited to watch these guys get after it. And I, I mean, I'm going to be driven nuts watching from Texas, but I'll come up for a couple games. But, I mean, I'm just so excited for these guys. These guys work their tails off. And they, they, they deserve everything that they get. So um, just really excited for them. Now, from what we know of the schedule, what would, what would be some games uh, currently on the schedule that you would have circled on for them that you would, ex- that you would expect it to be like a, a really key game for them throughout the season? Um, obviously playing at Ohio State, playing at Michigan State, um, and then playing, uh, playing at Northwestern. That would be a huge one. So At Iowa, too. At Iowa, yeah. I mean, they they, they got to be road warriors this year. And I think, you know, their leadership will come into play in, in, a, in a lot of positive ways during those during those uh, those games. I'm really looking forward to that uh, to that Braylon and uh, Jalen Berger matchup at East Lansing this season. That feels like that's got yeah. potential to be some bad blood right there, but we're not going in too far into that. Uh, guys, you made it yeah. this far. Thank you guys uh, for watching. Don't forget to like, share, subscribe. Hope you enjoyed Colin uh, talking about his Katie career, his Wasconsin career. Uh, guys, thank you all so much for listening. Thank you all.